0: Doctor, I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey, in the constellation of Kasturbaroth. I hope he is you're a bit less conspicuous this time.
1: You might be a doctor, but I am a doctor. I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the one you expect Absolutely fantastic.
0: All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want
1: to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode seven. Wait, no, episode six of Bigger on the Inside because we did episodes four and five as one part. So this is episode six, I think. Um, my name's Tim, and with me as always is um, my co-host with the Mo Host. It's Harry Murdock. Hi, Harry. Hey, yeah. Uh... Did you enjoy, uh, you weren't here last week, so did you, I'm, I'm guessing you've listened to the episode you were in? Uh, no,
0: yeah, definitely, it's not like we've recorded all of these, like, several weeks in advance, and so, um, no, yeah, I've def- definitely heard that episode, which has been uploaded at this point of recording, <laughs> definitely, yeah,
1: So it, uh, as-
0: it was a real really interesting story that you did, that big finish one.
1: Um, <laughs> so today we're doing episode seven of series one of Doctor Who, which is called what, Harry? The long game. Yes, and I think it's understandably the most forgettable episode of series one. Um, yeah, I won't kind of lie when I when say can... that I sort of forgot to watch this episode up to about three hours before the recording <laughs> of this podcast.
0: Yeah, it's one of those episodes. I think the problem with it is that um, in terms of why it's easy to forget is because it's sandwiched in between two of kind of the standout standalone episodes like it's just after Dalek which is one of if not my favourite Doctor Who episode and it's followed by Father's Day which is kind of a really important episode when it comes to explaining how the time travel within Doctor Who works so it's a very easy one to overlook and really in terms of progressing the story, it obviously sets some stuff up for Bad Wolf and mm. it kind of explains how this new guy that Rose and the Doctor brought with him after Dalek, kind of how he ends up not being with them anymore, but mm. other than that, there's um, not really that much to that needs to be remembered from this episode. So yeah, I that, feel like they
1: could have gone straight from Dalek to Father's Day and not having this episode wouldn't have made much difference. Like the only reason this episode exists is to get rid of Adam. Yeah. When the easy way of getting rid of him would have just been to not have him join the TARDIS in the first place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can understand why they wanted to bring Adam with them for one episode, and I kind of understand what this episode was trying to do. I think the main mm. problem with it for me was that it was trying to do a lot of things, and because of that... um some of the things it's trying to do kind of work, but other things kind of feel like they could have potentially been fleshed out a bit more.
1: No, yeah, I agree. So, yeah. what do you, I think the character of Adam is understandably one of the most least unpopular companions that we have in New Who, especially in Russell T Davis' era. Um, we'll get back on him later because. Do you it count
0: it, as a com- it, sorry, do you count him as a companion? Um, Are you being yes, what's your. Yeah. Go on. What what do you count as a companion? Like, do they have to have been with the Doctor for a whole series? Do they have to have just been with him for a few episodes? Like, would you count Mickey and Captain Jack as companions?
1: Yes, they're companions, yeah. I think anyone who goes on an adventure with him can sort of class as a companion, because they were a companion in that adventure.
0: Even if it's just the one
1: story? Yeah, like when you get to Tenant's Specials and he has, um, you know, he has like Kylie Minogue join him. She was a companion, um, planet of the Kylie
0: dead yeah i do yeah so I feel like, did she go in the tardis i feel like to be a companion like officially you need to have traveled mm. somewhere with the doctor in the tardis
1: so by that definition then adam is a companion yeah right at
0: yeah, cool. least not
1: you mentioned For it me. a sec <laughs> you mentioned it a second ago um did you pick up on a reference to bad wolf
0: I did. There was there was a code I had to put in somewhere, and the mm. numbers of the code, if you turned them from numbers into kind of letters corresponding with their order in the alphabet, yeah. it would have spelt Bad Wolf. Right, I didn't one?
1: pick up on that one. I picked up on the face of Bo being pregnant one. Oh, did where was Bad Wolf there? That was um, just on the Bad. She says the face of Bo just announced he's pregnant on the Bad Wolf Network.
0: Oh, ah, yes. see how did I how did I catch <laughs> the like really niche one where you'd have to probably pause it to like actually figure it out. Yes. Like, I only figured it out because the first three letters were uh 215 which is obviously B A D and yeah, looks like, yeah, at yeah. the rest <laughs> of them, that was well <laughs> How did I see that one not the really obvious one?
1: <laughs> Something we spoke about um a few moments before we did the podcast was that you said there's a lot going on in this episode
0: Mm.
1: what um that said there i think there's a lot of good actors in this and a lot of Mm, good characters but they're not really that well fleshed out because there's like at least three different subplots going on at once
0: i know well that that's a thing because like there's um there's a doctor and rose who kind of figuring out the main story. It keeps cutting back to uh, the villain, who for most of the episode is uh, Simon Pegg, mm. um, who is a, admittedly a highlight with his performance. Yeah, I've and sort then of put kind it of, down so that yeah.
1: he's the he's the saving grace of this episode.
0: And then for um, a lot of the episode, there's kind of Adam going on his computer chip <laughs> side quest, yeah. for lack of a better word, and it doesn't really become relevant in the plot until kind of actively um, disrupts and puts the Doctrine Rose in jeopardy.
1: No, Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, What I liked, though, is at the start of the episode, is that the Doctor seems to quite like Adam. He likes him more than he likes Mm. Mickey. I feel like,
0: yeah. I mean, he's seemingly more willing to bring Adam with them, and maybe it's a thing where... Because we've talked about this before, how he seems to be almost kind of jealous of the younger male <laughs> um, potential suitors <laughs> to Rose. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a thing where I feel like he's kind of humoring Rose with this. And he kind of, he, re- you know, holding referring to him as her her boyfriend yeah. quite explicitly. Um, yeah, I found that I strange. The they were, they were, but,
1: sorry, go on, go on.
0: I get the vibe that kind of like, While it's something he's doing for Rose, but he's not trying that hard to hide the fact that he'd rather he not be
1: with them. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. One thing that I kind of didn't realise is that it's very clear that from the start of this episode where Rose gives Adam her phone, that look on Adam's face, you instantly know that he's up to something and he's sort of one of the bad guys of the episode. I never really remembered it like that. I always remembered watching it as a kid and being like, oh, this guy just made one mistake sort of thing, but he's he's a dick.
0: Yeah, I think I can understand what Russell D. Davis is trying to do with Adam, and I think for the most part that's one of the things in this episode that does work, is that um, I feel like a lot of this episode is almost meant to be a direct contrast to the end of the world, kind of bringing this character to the far-flung future for their first adventure and them being kind of overwhelmed by just how much there is Mm. I mean, now I'm saying it I'm kind of wondering, maybe the Doctor has kind of took Rose and Adam for their first adventure to this far-flung place in the future, almost like a test, maybe to see if they're cut out for dealing with traveling in the TARDIS Like, if you can handle somewhere as alien as
1: this and you can handle anything yeah it's interesting you say that because i also saw it is that the doctor and rose in this one are really a well-oiled team like mm. when they both step out the TARDIS at the start of the episode he like tells her a lot of information she needs she needs to know to impress adam and later on when they're with is it kathika who is the who's the lady who joins them with the braided hair yeah, i think
0: it's kathika that sounds right yeah yeah i need well, to double check
1: yeah yeah um when she says it's something to do with the turbines and Christopher Eckerson just goes, it's something to do with the turbines. It like takes the mick out of like that Kafrika woman and then, he's, and then he praises Rose by going, why can't you ask more questions like Rose? Why can't you be more like Rose? So I think it's, yeah, it's I kind saw, of, saw yeah. them on the same sort of level, even though the Doctor is clearly more, in, more intelligent than Rose that they yeah. can bounce Rose off kind each of other. asking questions
0: that, yeah. yeah, and like the thing with Rose asking questions she's asking questions which kind of they're like not like help like annoying questions, like asking for clarification or anything. They're kind of useful questions where she's kind of ask the questions she's asking helps to kind of lead the doctor in yeah. the right direction.
1: No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, one thing I did like is when Adam goes to try and get all the information about the microprocessor. He's just reading it out, and it sounds like he's just reading it off a Wikipedia page. There's no history. (laughs) It's just him going, the microprocessor replaced this, such and such, and now it does this. It's like, that's not history. That's like me going, England and Germany went to war, and England won with some help from America. That was the end of the Second World War.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't but think that if Adam wants to kind of use this information, or abuse this information to his own gain in the present, you'd think that Instead of just kind of reading a summary, he'd kind of look up kind of nitty gritty details for yeah. how this new processor works. I mean, maybe that's what he was going to go into before he lost um, connection, but it does kind of sound like he went to like the first web result that he <laughs> yeah, searched
1: for. Did, yeah. What I liked as well is um, I, I believe this might have been the time where she was just starting to take off with of her TV work. But the, the the woman who Adam goes and sees about getting a chip is Tamsin Gregg, who later goes on to appear in um, Green Friday Wing, Night Friday Night Dinner, and Episodes with Matt LeBlanc.
0: I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, no, no, I've seen her. I've seen her and... Um, I mean, I, <laughs> this is my inner kind of fiercer nerd coming out. The thing I know her from is um, playing... Um, Oh, I can't remember the character's name, but kind of one He's of the main kind nerd. of characters in... It was, it was Twelfth Night at the National Theatre. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Um, yeah, but she's really, she was really funny in that. She's clearly a very, very talented actress with great comedic chops.
1: Yeah. yeah. When did you get and see that? I mean,
0: I did also, yeah. I did recognise a few faces in this episode. Like, I recognised um, the woman who was... Uh, like, coming undercover on Satellite 5 and was secretly, like, a freedom fighter. Oh, yeah. I recognised her face, but I can't place her. That was a really good plot
1: point that I feel was just so wasted.
0: That could have been an episode in itself. The whole thing of a freedom fighter sneaking onto his satellite undercover? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Like, there was never any yeah, way follow-up to that afterwards. It was like, oh, is no one going to come and get her from her team?
0: And you kind of, you see the footage of her, like, fighting. That's how Impreg's character brings up. And she looks like this kind of, really kind of cool badass. But then, like, the last thing we see of her alive is her, like, shooting this thing a few times and then screaming. Yeah, yeah. You'd think, like, you'd think if she was a freedom fight, this kind of, you know, badass freedom fight, but maybe she'd, I don't know, Try and run, um, try and be more resourceful, not just stand there and scream. But I guess that's something uh, that. Comes yeah, to... yeah,
1: that's a good point. I didn't think mm. of that.
0: What did you think of the. I guess that's something that comes. Uh, with... Sorry, go on. I guess, I was just going to say, I think that's something that probably comes more down to the limitations of directing for TV than anything.
1: No, yeah, but... definitely. What did you think yeah. sort of the uh, the effects in this episode then, especially with the uh, Mighty Jaggerfest? Um,
0: it's a weird one because I kind of like the way it's designed and I liked how kind of like slimy and disgusting it was. It just kind of stuck out a bit Yeah. in the scene. Yeah. It's a shame because like that whole set was really well designed and really cool. Kind of like this, you know, this um, futuristic base that's kind of all frozen over and yeah. Like a kind of a bit of a wasteland. It was a cool set, but unfortunately, the jaggerfest just kind of stood out a bit in it.
1: No, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I really like the makeup they do on Simon Pegg to make him almost look like Jack Frost.
0: Yeah, all frosty. Yeah, they, look, they he looks really cool and kind of all the dead people working for him. Yeah, the I watched they an do I- look like just like these animated corpses. Yeah, sorry. Yeah,
1: I was w- saying, I watched an interview with Simon Pegg and he was saying that they sort of. Like sort of bleached, they dyed his hair, dyed his beard, bleached his eyebrows, sort of really paled his skin down and then gave him bright blue contact lenses. <laughs> I
0: have to ask, do you know, because I'm assuming is, is Simon Pegg a fan of Star Wars? Oh, no, no, um, Doctor Who. I know <gasps> oh, he's a fan of Star Wars. Oh my goodness,
1: can't believe he said it. He said the S word. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Um, all these space yes, shows are exactly is. the
1: same. <laughs> he is, he is, he is. He um, said it was yeah. like he used to watch it as a kid and he was in a big finished story written by Mark Gatiss with Paul McGann.
0: Ooh, cool. But so, I, don't
1: to, know what, I don't know which one that is.
0: To clarify, I don't think all these space shows are the same. I have <laughs> watched plenty of Doctor Who and Star Wars and enjoy them both separately for their separate qualities. I can't speak for Star Trek. All I've seen is the movie Star Trek Beyond, which I liked. And I'm pretty sure Simon Pig wrote that.
1: Yeah, he did, yeah. It's quite good, that film. I, I do like it. It's one of my favourites of the three. Um, the scene, yeah. uh, another bit of CGI we should talk about, is probably the, the opening of the brain. The bit where you can click your fingers and your, your head opens. Because there's a scene where, where Adam has it and he touches it. And he touches the little mm. flaps on his head. And you see it bounce yeah. back. And I thought that was really a, a nice little sort of touch.
0: Yeah, it's obviously, you can tell that it's a CGI kind of edit, but kind of the way he interacts with it, really well done. And the way that thing kind of flips back and forth really did kind of, it felt quite, uh, you know, tactile. It felt real, the way he interacted with it. No, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, because we do see Adam get the, I can't remember what they call it, but where he gets the, the light shining into his forehead. Hmm. Can you remember what they called it? Because they say something, don't they, before they activate it, but I I can't remember. Spike.
0: A spike, yeah. Yeah, that's it. it.
1: And uh, it cuts to the Doctor and Rose chained up, and the Doctor looks at the video of Adam, and he says, what the hell's he gone and done? Earlier Hmm. on in the episode, he's just watched someone else do it, so he knows what he's done. He just watched that. Um, I guess he kind of... that what, that lady with the braided hair. His name, I can't remember. He just watched her getting done, and now he doesn't know what it is. I think it's kind of more of a kind of exasperated,
0: rhetorical kind of look. What he like? What has he gone and done? Kind of, yeah. he can't believe. Like he thought he was a bit of a tool, but he can't believe he's gone and done something that selfish and kind of stupid. Mm. That's how I interpreted it. I like and fact... I feel like sorry. Go on. I feel like the fact that he made our decision and kind of he was immediately dropped off afterwards kind of is another part of that whole providing a contrast of him to Rose Mm. and how on Rose's um, first adventure with the Doctor um, in End of the World, she was obviously a bit taken aback by everything. But um, for the most part, she... I mean... I can't remember being particularly active in that episode as a companion but she didn't kind of when she wandered off she didn't go do anything stupid and irresponsible yeah. whereas here it's clear that he's acted entirely selfishly and kind of of to kind of benefit himself which is obviously the exact kind of opposite reason that most companions travel with the Doctor
1: yeah no I definitely agree Um, I like the fact that they spike Adam to try and get information about the Doctor. And they do get a fair bit of information about the Doctor from Adam. But Adam's only been with the Doctor for, like, one day. So how much much does he know?
0: Well, I guess he knows that he's a Time Lord who travels through time in the TARDIS. And I imagine that that kind of information for... I mean, I don't know how much the alien race running Satellite Five. I don't know how much they actually know about the Time Lords, because yeah. there are obviously some organisations and races like I know. Obviously, the Shadow Proclamation knows and understands who the Time Lords are. I don't know. Cause obviously, and humans obviously know nothing. I wonder how well known, kind of, in intergalactic <laughs> society, the Time Lords are.
1: No, yeah, definitely. Obviously,
0: if that race, sorry, go on. If that race do you have an understanding of the Time Lords, and kind of how powerful their species was, and how kind of rare and valuable their and advanced their technology was, and obviously knowing that they have the last Time Lord and this kind of ancient time traveling technology on their hands that could be a very dangerous thing if they have that knowledge.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a part that I really like. Again, it's not really... There's a part that I... Sorry, go on.
0: Sorry, this is my last bit. But again, like, this episode didn't exactly clarify that. Um, But
1: now I'm done. (laughs) There's a part that I really like, as I will get to now, that um, when the Doctor decides he's taking Adam back home, he walks in... You don't see the TARDIS take off or land. You see the Doctor walk into the TARDIS with Adam on the... They walk in on the right, and then it cuts to Adam's flat, and the Titus is now facing the other way on the left of the screen, and they walk straight back out of it. Mm. So it was almost like they don't, it's like straight in, bang, and straight out again. There's no time travel, there's no scene in between where he's trying to convince the doctor. It's just straight home. I imagine the thing,
0: yeah. I imagine like the in between we don't see is literally the doctor kind of throws him into a corner. Puts in the coordinates, frozen back out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, would you like to know a little bit about Adam and what happened to him after Doctor Who?
0: Did Russell T Davis uh, fill in the gaps for us?
1: Um, the people at Big Finish have, and so have. Um, oh, does Adam so have, have his the... own stories? Big Finish? I haven't listened to them. I know he's appeared in um, some Big Finish stories with the Knife Doctor, in which Nicholas Briggs does. Um, I love Nicholas Briggs. I think he's a fantastic ambassador for Doctor Who. That said, his Christopher Eccleston impression is diabolical compared to yours. It is so bad. And he did the he did a knife doctor he impression.
0: doctor
1: in Big Finish? Is he yeah, playing
0: in, like full, in like full audio dramas.
1: Yes. Like four I think so uh, no it's like an audio story so it's like there's a story and he reads the knife doctor's dial Bye. but it's like this like I'm the knife doctor and I'm a jolly old man. hello norm, I'm it.
0: the doctor I'm Christopher Eccleston it's Happy not as, as good as that. that big in a, in a <laughs> it's not as good as that.
1: <laughs> is it, how is it worse than me <laughs> it, I'll if okay I'll edit a bit in now and you can listen to it afterwards okay that was good wasn't it Harry
0: Yeah. Oh, god. I thought. I mean, he's a great Dalek voice, isn't he?
1: He is. Anyway, Adam Mitchell. So I'm reading these from um, notes that I made two weeks ago. So um, do bear with. So shortly after the Doctor and Rose dropped him off, Adam's mother died. His mother died. What? yeah, his mum. You know his mum when she comes in and snaps her fingers?
0: Yeah, like, like, like of shock of seeing his uh, she has a or... she has
1: an illness and the technology the doctor erased from Adam's phone with the microprocessor could have helped to save Adam's mum.
0: So Adam was acting more to save his mum in this episode than he was to... Maybe not intentionally. I don't know everything.
1: if... I don't know if he knows in the episode that his mum... Had the illness, sorry, it's something she gets afterwards. But anyway, his mum's dead. The technology that the Doctor erased oh. could have saved his mum. He uses okay. he uses the, his head technology, the little clippy thing inside his head, to steal um, corporate funding to fund his revenge against the Doctor.
0: Revenge on the Doctor. Yeah. So is he becomes a full out villain.
1: Yes. Um, I don't know how, I didn't read on but at some point Adam steals a vortex manipulator from Unit Um, he tries to recruit the Master in his plot to kill the Doctor but the Master doesn't Uh, it's not said and the Master's like passively involved, he is and he isn't involved in the rest of this Um, he finds out the Doctor can regenerate and kidnaps one of each of his Incarnation's companions So he kidnaps Sarah Jane, Leela, Ian and Barbara, Jamie and the Brigadier. Okay. (laughs) The sixth doctor and the tenth doctor get word of warning that this is happening and set up a trap to capture Adam. And the Knife Doctor arrives and he reveals his identity to the Knife Doctor as he kidnaps Rose. At the same time, he kicks the Knife Doctor and kidnaps Martha and Clara. <laughs>
0: Alright. The whole gang's here.
1: <laughs> All the doctors get together and save their companions and then the master kills Adam.
0: This is a very big story. Um it's is huge, this like, for, like it? an anniversary? I can't an anniversary imagine so. Thing?
1: I don't think so. But what a way. Um and no offense to whoever wrote that, and I know I haven't done it justice just then. But who? Why? What a waste of a multi doctor episode uh, story, than to have them come together and defeat Adam Mitchell from Series <laughs> One Episode it Seven.
0: Seemed, it just—it seems weird to me that to choose. I like the idea of Adam being turned into like a villain. I yes. like as a concept could be interesting, but. The fact that like he's turned into like this super villain of such a scale that it takes every single doctor to defeat him. I, yeah, I don't really know what to think of that. Get
1: excited for the ninth Doctor Big Finish stories, everybody, because that's what you're going to be getting. I, I, I
0: hope. I, I'd like to think we probably won't get a 12 episode s- story arc <laughs> of stopping Ada. I mean, if if these audio dramas come out, and the main villain throughout them is Adam,
1: what a disappointment!
0: Would you be disappointed?
1: Massive, of course you would. Why wouldn't you be? You have so much potential to like explore, if, and they go, oh, "We're gonna, we're gonna bring Adam back."
0: <laughs> I kind of respect it, honestly.
1: Adam I, is I, a- I want
0: an Adam Slovene I want an Adam Slovene team up.
1: Adam is also the only companion that the te- that the Doctor, you know, when the tenth Doctor regenerates, and he goes back and sees yeah. all his former companions, Adam is the only one who he doesn't go and see.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, even Alonzo. Like, yeah, he goes and sees him, before. yeah.
1: He doesn't go and see uh, Adam
0: is such... Adam's such a weird character to think about. Like, I understand why he's been he's there but (laughs) kind of it feels like if you wanted to have like a male um companion to kind of fight for a doctor's uh, fight for rose's attention with the doctor like you have both mickey and captain jack to do that yeah and mickey can also serve as kind of a contrast for like you know the rose traveling with compared to him and how he would be more out of his depth but mm. I mean I guess the, I, I guess Adam works in just kind of showing how time travel can be abused but then again that stud in Father's Day with the next episode the more I think about Adam the stranger <laughs> he seems he's this strange kind of you can't exactly place why he exists as a character okay no, um, can you I've never, thought that ha- I've never thought that this much about Adam until now. This is the most I've ever thought about Adam. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, this is the most it's, anyone's it's, ever thought about Adam. Whoever even wrote that Doctor Who story didn't think about Adam this much.
0: <laughs> Do you think Russell T. Davis thought that much about Adam?
1: Probably not. That's probably why he did come back in the end of time.
0: <laughs> I, why? <laughs> of all the Doctor Who episodes, why is the long game the one that's breaking me?
1: Well, I think it's quite good that we... Because I know we've always said, up to episode six, we did a... Sorry, episode five, we did our ranking of the first six episodes of series one. And it was quite hard, because I think we both agreed that they were all good episodes. Mm. This is the only episode out of the seven that we've watched that that was a drag to watch and one that I wasn't really enjoying watching.
0: I... Yeah, I mean, I, it's not a train wreck by any means. Oh, it no, is. It's not, not a like, train wreck. It's still, like, constantly made. I, there's still fun exchanges between a doctor and Rose. But why isn't that? Good it idea. doesn't serve
1: a purpose, really, yeah. does it?
0: Yeah, there's some good ideas. Like, I feel like perhaps if Adam had been removed from the story and had been just all about kind of this deep dive into Satellite 5 would have worked better. Yeah. Or better yet, it was a more familiar place to take Adam and kind of explore him a bit more yeah. and find some yeah. a more unique angle for him yeah. i feel like it's kind of if you'd really focus on one or the other as it is it's fine
1: mm. like
0: it, it's still kind of you know but um yeah it's definitely mm-hmm. the weakest so far no, and absolutely. it's kind of weird because looking at these episodes so far i've been surprised that i've said that all the weakest ones are the ones written by russell which i kind of feel bad about because i feel like that's almost a negative reflection of russell as a writer which is not my thoughts on russell at all i think he's an incredibly smart writer that's quite interesting think... you say
1: that because chris christopher has been doing more and more conventions recently and more q and a's he's getting asked questions from the audience that people have been wanting to know for 15 years and um, he recently spoke about the writing, I think we might have touched on it in previous episodes, where he said uh, Russell has a really clear vision for Rose, and he knew what to do with Rose, but he didn't know what to do with the Doctor. Which maybe does show slightly That's, more. Uh, do you think so? Maybe, yeah. He said he said he didn't really know what Russell wanted from him as an actor, but when he worked with Moffat on The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, he knew what the Doctor was about and he could see the points of the Doctor, and he understood what the writer wanted from him.
0: That's interesting, yeah. That's interesting. Because I I do feel like um, a lot of what makes Eccleston's Doctor unique comes from Eccleston himself and his performance. And honestly, the same can be said for a lot of um, Doctors. A lot of Doctors, if you kind of look it on the page are written pretty similarly, at least in their first series. And it's the performance of the actor that kind of makes them different.
1: Like yeah.
0: Tom Baker, for example, when he played it, he was kind of told, play it as Tom. Yeah. And it was him bringing himself in a role which made it work so well. And with the exception of a couple of character actors, like um, uh, Troughton and Matt Smith, for the most part, it is kind of the actors bringing their own individuality to the Doctor that makes each incarnation unique.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, def- I definitely so, agree with you.
0: Perhaps it is a fact that if he'd had subsequent series, the whole creative team would have understood more what Eccleson's Doctor was about and then yeah. would have written more specifically for him. Maybe for this series, Russell was kind of writing for the Doctor... Kind of as an amalgam of everything the Doctor represents, and would yeah. have kind of let person's performance dictate how he would have been in subsequent series. How he stayed on?
1: No, definitely, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, so did you? So out of ten, ten being fantastic, and one, fantastic. Yeah, thank you. A one being um poo. Why don't you just die? <laughs> <laughs> all right okay and here it is for the next for the rest of this series <laughs> our new rated system so where do you rate this on a scale of fantastic to why don't you just die
0: um
1: out of 10 how many points I, are you giving it
0: um i want to say a six.
1: Oh wow very generous i was going to give it four Okay, so we
0: yeah. middle out with a five. Yeah. Um... Before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic.
1: There's a new segment we talked about doing. I hope you've um, remembered. I can, I can, I can, I can, for those who can't, everyone who can't see Harry, I'm looking at him now on his webcam as he tries and thinks of a Doctor Who quote that perfectly sums up the number five. Anyway, uh, a slightly new segment we wanted to introduce because um, I think over lockdown we both watched and uh, read and did different things that we, you know you can't really set up a podcast to talk about so we're just going to add it in at the end of this uh little recommendations for stuff to watch or listen to or read or whatever um try and, we'll try and recommend one an episode otherwise we're going to go on for ages harry what's mm. one thing you'd like to recommend um
0: off the top of my head i would like to recommend um the series uh a I'll give you some clues. It's an Amazon Prime and BBC co-production. It stars one of the actors who has played the Doctor in New Who. I'm talking, of course, about... Do you know what I'm talking about, Tim? Is
1: this the new Matt Smith one?
0: Mm, not quite. I've not.
1: It's got David Tennant in it, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, David Tennant, Amazon Prime. Grace Point? <laughs> Isn't that the American version of Broadchurch? It's, it's on Amazon Prime UK. It's there. Grace
0: Point, I'm pretty sure, is the it's, American version of Broadchurch. It, it is. is. It's, it's point to point show. accurate. Yeah, but wow. no, that's not what I'm recommending. Although I could recommend Broadchurch, I was talking about Good Omens. Alright. Oh, <laughs> Uh, yeah no good omen stars um david ten and um michael sheen as leads playing um an angel and a demon yeah. um who live on earth and are trying to prevent armageddon um it's very kind of quirky off ball it's based off a novel and kind of you can tell from kind of a non-linear structure but it's kind of very refreshing to see in tv it's kind of I watched it with my family and um, one of my family kind of described it as the perfect meal Hmm. where kind of it's got everything you need. It's got, you know, a brilliant starter, a really satisfying feeling main course and just like got the cherry on top, perfect kind of ending dessert. It's kind of this very neat, perfect little package which leaves you feeling very content and satisfied at the end written like by
1: Neil Gaiman, who goes on to write several Dot episodes that I think we'll talk about at some point.
0: Does he? I didn't even realise that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So we'll get to really? Um I'm going to recommend something completely different. Um, a a programme I first um, caught a glimpse of with you, um, maybe um, three years ago now, is Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing which is oh, one, of, yeah. one of my, my all-time favourite programmes um, at the time of recording Series 3 has just started being shown on BBC. I imagine they're all on streaming services everywhere or you can get a VPN and watch it. Basically, um, Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer, are two comedians from the UK. They're both 60-plus. And basically, they just go fishing and have a chat about life. It's the most... Refreshing, warming, and relaxing program ever. Basically, I always put it on if I feel like if I if, if I'm very stressed out about work or life or whatever. I just sit sit at the desk, I put it on, and it's just the most relaxing. It's like a big hug. It's the nicest program.
0: Yeah. I can I can vouch for that. I've watched a couple of episodes and I've seen Bob Mortimer in a lot of things, specifically him. And just like he is just a joy. So just listen to. Such kind of a sweet, oddball of a character. You can yes. just kind of listen to him for ages. I have to ask, do they catch much fish? Because I don't remember them catching a lot of <laughs>
1: fish. Um, Paul Whitehouse does, yeah. Oh, is he a good fisherman? Yeah, he's, he's like the fishman, yeah. Fishman, fish...
0: Yeah, I, actually, I heard them both on the radio, I think, yesterday. Um, they were on some kind of a show where they were contributing, um, by requesting songs. And... <laughs> They had just such, like, they had such kind of warm banter. Like, yeah. they were really properly having a go at each other, and it was so...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's good, yeah.
0: Honestly, just thinking of it makes me smile.
1: Yeah, same. I might go back and actually watch it later on to that after this. So, anyway, we'll wrap this up. Um, so this was Doctor Who The Long Game, Series 1, Episode 7 ironically the episode called the long game probably is the longest episode of doctor who that we've had to watch so far um apologies for the last episode we did dalek probably the best episode of the series and our recording of it was utter trash it was really bad (laughs) i figured it
0: out I've, i've game plan when we get to bad wolf and the daleks come back i'm gonna like use that as an excuse to talk about Daleks some more. Rightio.
1: Okay, that'll I've got it all planned out. That'll do. So (laughs) join us next week for what, Harry? Father's Day. That's right. So I'll say goodbye, and now Harry will say goodbye. Say bye, Harry! Bye-bye! Once again, I'm right. And on the rare occasion that I'm wrong,
0: You'd usually find out that that bit was a lie and that I was right in the first place.